The Leslie Marshall Show, the only true democracy in talk radio, of, for, and by you, the people. Live nationwide and streaming live at LeslieMarshallShow.com. Call in with your thoughts at 888-6-LESLIE. radio uh and you couldn't see me god knows what i looked like then that was scary probably scary today too i did not sleep well last night just got a lot going on you know when you got two teenagers i don't know but you i've turned into my mother i worry about every possible thing like i turn over i start to fall asleep <gasps> what about that <gasps> what about seriously i've become the worry wart that i used to think my mother was so mom if you're watching Hey there, I'm Leslie Marshall. Welcome to the only true democracy in talk. Thank you for joining us, watching us on Twitter, on LinkedIn, on Facebook, on YouTube, uh, on podcast, on stream and listening, obviously, on podcast and on radio and everywhere this show is available, listening or watching. Uh, We've got a great guest joining us a little bit uh, later. We're going to talk about guns because guns are a problem when you knock on somebody's front door get in the wrong car, I have a story about that, and uh, send your child to school. And yet again and again and again, there are adults or children dying at the hands of a gun. You cannot, I don't, I don't care how much you love guns, the NRA, the Second Amendment, you know, rub the gun all over your body for crying out loud. You know, you just love that thing. It is about the guns, sorry. Well, let's check what's ripped. Everybody was saying to me on television, is he going to run, Leslie? When's he going to announce? Well, he announced, he announced, he announced. And he announced one year from the day he announced last time around. Not one year. He announced on the same day he announced the last time that he ran, when he ran uh, for president and won. President Biden's re-election launch video actually opens with grainy footage of the January 6th assault on the Capitol. The president warns that MAGA extremists want to take away America's basic freedoms and then promising to protect them. So why does this matter? Well, uh, the friends of the president think he might have retired if he thought Vice President Harris could beat former President Trump, but he sees Donald Trump as a lethal threat to America. The reason to run and the issue to build his campaign around. And by the way, he beat him once and I believe he will beat him again. Let me give you my sidebar ideas, okay, very quickly on this uh, next general election. Joe Biden's going to run. Joe Biden's going to have Kamala by his side. That's what I said all along for the conspiracy theorist. I'm hoping in one respect that Donald Trump gets the GOP nomination because he will lose again. I'm kind of hoping, though, that he won't because it just pulls our nation into a circus and we have more vitriol and more division. But if he doesn't get the GOP nomination, it might be a bit entertaining, sorry, to watch him accuse his own people of a false and stolen GOP nomination (laughs) if Ron DeSantis gets it. 
DeSantis scares me because DeSantis, I think, is just as extreme and radical as Trump. He just hides it better. And the only guy that scares me, but he will never make it. And I want to say scares me, scares me as far as being able to. And I think DeSantis has a better shot at beating Joe Biden than Donald Trump. But a guy I think that would have a good chance at beating Joe Biden, but he won't become the nominee is Governor Sununu. If you've watched or listened to that man, he talks like a moderate Republican, like Republicans used to be, Reagan Republicans. He not only talks against Trump, he talks about what's wrong with Republicans when it comes up you know, to abortion and they really shouldn't be like campaigning on it. He actually is a very common sense Republican, makes a lot of sense to me, and I'm a strong liberal Democrat. So if it makes sense to me, it might make sense to some voters who are independents or looking for a home or don't like a Joe Biden. But then again, he won't make it. It's going to be Trump or DeSantis. Those are my predictions. But anyway, here's the state of play. The dynamic is going to lead President Biden, who is 80, to seize every opportunity to maximize his presidential stature and dwell on his differences with the former President Donald Trump using what he calls MAGA Republicans on Capitol Hill as a handy proxy. He said, quote, when I ran for president four years ago, I said, we're in a battle for the soul of America, and we still are. Uh, President Biden said that in the video announcing his reelection. Take a listen. Freedom, personal freedom, is fundamental to who we are as Americans. There's nothing more important, nothing more sacred. That's been the work of my first term, to fight for our democracy. This shouldn't be a red or blue issue. To protect our rights, to make sure that everyone in this country is treated equally and that everyone is given a fair shot at making it. But you know, around the country, MAGA extremists are lining up to take on those bedrock freedoms, cutting Social Security, that you paid for your entire life while cutting taxes for the very wealthy, dictating what healthcare decisions women can make, banning books and telling people who they can love, all while making it more difficult for you to be able to vote. When I ran for president four years ago, I said we're in a battle for the soul of America, and we still are. The question we're facing is whether in the years ahead, we have more freedom or less freedom, more rights or fewer, I know what I want the answer to be, and I think you do too. This is not a time to be complacent. That's why I'm running for re-election, because I know America. I know we're good and decent people. I know we're still a country that believes in honesty and respect and treating each other with dignity. That we're a nation where we give hate no safe harbor. We believe that everyone is equal, that everyone should be given a fair shot to succeed in this country. Every generation of Americans has faced a moment when they have to defend democracy. Stand up for our personal freedom. Stand up for the right to vote and our civil rights. And this is our moment. Let's finish this job. I know we can. Because this is the United States of America. There's nothing, simply nothing we cannot do if we do it together. And I agree with him. And by the way, everybody gets on about age. There are totally different ages. Uh, I worked in my husband's medical office years ago. And I saw a 91-year-old woman come in whose husband had died. She played tennis every day. She looked great. Uh, she was probably looking better than I did those days. I was harried working two full-time jobs with my husband and then on the radio and then trying to have a baby all at the same time. Um, and 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 then on, on top of it, she went on an around-the-world uh, trip. She asked my husband, what am I going to do? My husband and I were going to go around the world. And he goes, go without one. And she took her best friend. And a year later, she came back and saw my husband like as a follow-up as a patient. And she looked great. And, you know, it was very good for her grieving process to see the world and to keep moving forward. Uh, another guy, same age as her, same injury, in a wheelchair, in a nursing home, 291s, very different. And by the way, 
Republicans want us to work longer. So I think it's amusing that you hear people on the right talking about Joe Biden. I don't know about you. You know, you, you know, you get things that say, I got a thing the other day. It says, if you retire at 65, now I'm getting things that say, if you retire at 72, they keep pushing it, right? And they give you incentive because the older you are, the more you'll get, whether it's social security, a pension, that kind of thing. Anyway, running the White House from the White House is 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 good is a double-edged sword right it's good it's pros and it's con uh, the president can remind voters of his legislative accomplishments including billions of dollars for infrastructure clean energy semiconductors and at his command are all the tools of the modern presidency the rose garden for some su sunny announcements air force one for both domestic political trips and international statesmanship and a press and digital team that can broadcast on multiple frequencies to multiple audiences this is going to be a case study in how the White House can marry the president's campaign message with his official duties. Now, after his announcement video, uh, the president uh, addressed the uh, North America's Building Trade Unions Legislative Conference, a chance to highlight his legislative accomplishments and record of job creation, including nearly 800,000 manufacturing jobs. He will take aim at he will take aim at Speaker Kevin uh, McCarthy and his plans to repeal the president's Inflation Reduction Act. I'll be right there. In the evening, he'll welcome South Korea's President Yoon Suk-yeol at the White House for a symbolic visit that will culminate in a state dinner Wednesday night. And what we're hearing is for most of the spring and summer, McCarthy will be Biden's foil as a showdown over Republicans' demands for budget cuts before raising the debt ceiling grips Washington and Wall Street. And as the Republican primary race heats up, president's going to shift his attention to the leader of that pack. He expects that is going to be Donald Trump, as I said. The video also includes a photo of Trump and Florida Governor Ron DeSantis embracing on the House floor. Biden officials have a clear eye that a rematch against Trump will be a close contest, but they had a playbook that worked in 2020. They can do it again. Longtime Biden advisors, however, know there's little margin for error. That means avoiding any mishaps by a candidate who'll be 81 for most of 2024. Trump's not that young. He'll be 78 on Election Day. I'm Leslie Marshall. That's the first half of what's ripped from the headlines. We're going to be coming back uh, shortly uh, with uh, what comes up with uh, part two. More out of the White House, more from you. And in the second half of the program, we're going to have a special guest talking guns, 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 or more specifically, gun safety, gun control. Don't go away. We are back. Hey there. I'm Leslie Marshall. Welcome or welcome back on the Democracy You Talk. And welcome back to the second half of the first half of the show. Second half, you're going to have a great guest joining us. Stick around for that. But uh, right now, we want to continue with our second half of what's ripped from those headlines. Today, the White House made it clear that the president will veto the GOP's debt ceiling bill if it were to pass both chambers of Congress. That's a big if. It's the latest sign the Biden administration is firm on its refusal, refusal to negotiate with McCarthy on anything except a clean debt limit increase. Now, the Office of Management and Budget said in a statement of administration policy that it strongly opposes the bill. They added if the president were presented with the Limit Save Grow Act of 2023, he would veto it. Now, the statement took aim at the legislation's cuts to discretionary spending, repeal of inf the Inflation Reduction Act tax credits, and imposition of welfare work requirements in exchange for raising the debt ceiling. The president has said that he's clear he's not going to make uh, you know, such an attempt at hostage making 
get the green light, right? House Republicans must take default off the table and address the de- debt limit without demands and conditions. Senate Majority Chuck Leader, uh, Chuck Schumer, leader of the Senate, uh, has already signaled the bill is going to be dead on arrival in the Senate. It's a Democrat-controlled Senate, uh, despite centrist Joe Manchin uh, praising the measure. Uh, because he's really a Republican, but we need him to still be a Democrat, I guess, right? House Speaker Kevin McCarthy wants the bill to kickstart negotiations over the debt ceiling by demonstrating Republicans can get the 218 votes needed to pass something. Out of the White House today, there were numbers from our press secretary that talked about how many jobs would be lost, how many children would be affected, how many seniors would be affected. This is going to hurt Republicans politically. This is a stupid move. Republicans have made moves like this in the past, are threatened to. And by the way, when you're in power in the House, House and you do this, you get blamed. And Republicans, by a very slim margin, have power in the House. They will get blamed. House Speaker Kevin McCarthy wants the bill to kickstart negotiations over the debt ceiling by demonstrating Republicans can get the 218 votes needed to pass something. He sat down, the two sat down in February on the subject, but according to McCarthy, he hasn't heard from the White House since, because I think the president's been very clear where he stands. Some Democratic lawmakers citing the possibility that raising the debt ceiling will likely require some cuts to pass the GOP-controlled House have urged the White House to restart talks with McCarthy, but McCarthy for the moment is still trying to wrangle his unwieldy conference to ensure he has the votes to pass the bill this week. By the way, I don't think the president's saying he won't sit down with McCarthy. He's just not like hanging out at his doorstep. After all, he is the president. He has a few other things on his plate. McCarthy's spokesperson, Chad Gilmartin, tweeted the president is threatening to veto the only plan that avoids default. No, it's the only plan you're putting forward without a negotiation to compromise to avoid default. Let's rip another. Jury selection began today for a civil trial over sexual assault and defamation lawsuits brought against former President Trump by writer E. Jean Carroll. She alleges he raped her in the 1990s. Her accusation was among dozens of public accusations and allegations of sexual misconduct or assault made against Trump over the years. Only a few have resulted in litigation. None have gone to trial. The the former president denied the allegations against him. He's not even showing up in court. She is a writer and a longtime advice columnist, a friend of the show here and a friend of mine on Twitter. She first accused Trump of sexually assaulting her in her 2019 book, What Do We Need Men For? In the book, Carol said a chance encounter between them in 1995 or 96 turned violent. She alleged that Trump, after inviting her to go shopping at Manhattan's Bergdorf Goodman, pinned her against a wall in the dressing room, pulled down her tights, unzipped his pants, and sexually assaulted her. Now, Trump denied the allegation in 2019. Carol sued him for defamation a few months later, accusing him of damaging her reputation and her career through this denial, and in late 2022 was allowed to sue him for battery after New York's Adult Survivors Act. That allows adult survivors of sexual violence to sue over attacks that occurred decades ago that went into effect in 2022. Now, the trial will include her defamation and sexual assault lawsuits. Uh, The president former president has tried to and attempted to dismiss those. Trump's lawyers also sought to delay the trial after they learned that Carol's legal fees have in part been paid by the founder of LinkedIn, Reid Hoffman. Makes me like LinkedIn more. Carol is seeking unspecified compensatory and punitive damages for psychological harm, dignity loss, pain and suffering and reputation damage. And for the former president, the trial comes as he is again running for president amidst several other legal challenges. Because it's it's a civil trial, it would not be considered and he would not be considered a criminal if the jury rules in her favor. In other words, it won't prevent him from running for election uh, for, for president again. I shouldn't say re-election. He lost that election. And by the way, this just shows that E. Jean Carroll is not 
doing this for political gain. When you can't just get justice in a criminal court, sometimes a civil court's the only way to go. We saw that with the uh, we, we saw that with <clears throat> Nicole Brown Simpson and Ron Goldman's families after O.J. Simpson was found not guilty. But he could be responsible for paying her millions of dollars in damage in the civil uh, trial. Jurors in the trial will not be it will not be televised. They are expected to hear testimony from two other women who have accused Trump of sexual assaulting them as well. They're expected to hear uh, that uh, infamous Access Hollywood tape again, during which Trump can be heard boasting about sexually assaulting women. Uh, he attempted to exclude the tape and testimonies from evidence. U.S. District Judge Lewis Kaplan, who is presiding over the trial, ruled last month they could be introduced. And Trump has since claimed that what he said on the tape did not reflect his actual behavior with women. Uh, will he testify? Well, Kaplan previously said Trump's not under no legal obligation to testify or even attend the trial. The judge said Carol has also indicated she does not intend to call him as a witness. Trump's lawyers previously asked Kaplan to instruct jurors that Trump wishes to appear at the trial, but his presence would be too logistically burdensome on the courthouse in New York City. That's not totally a lie. Kaplan pushed back on the claim burden of Trump's appearance and denied the request, saying it was premature. Now, um, what other woes, legal woes are facing Donald Trump? In addition to Ms. Carroll's lawsuit, he's been charged with 34 counts of falsifying business records in the first degree by a Manhattan grand jury related to 2016 hush money payments to adult film actress Stormy Daniels. He's under criminal investigation by a special counsel probing his efforts to interfere with the lawful transfer of power after the 2020 election and his handling of classified documents after his presidency. And later this year, an Atlanta prosecutor is expected to announce charging decisions from a wide-ranging investigation in, into Donald Trump's efforts to overturn Georgia's 2020 election results. Let's hear another. A company related to Republican mega-donor Harlan Crow, who was a longtime friend of Clarence Thomas, who was a Supreme Court justice sitting on our highest court of the land, who paid for lavish trips for the Supreme Court justice and his wife, had business before the Supreme Court in the mid-2000s. That's what records are showing. Now, Crow's name does not appear in a caption of the case, which concerned a dispute related to a copyrighted architectural drawing. And his office said neither he nor his company were involved in the matter or discussed it with Thomas. But the revelation challenges assertions by both men that their relationship was completely separate from his role as a Supreme Court justice and is likely to add to scrutiny over his ethical conduct. Recently, justices have been under pressure to be more forthcoming about their actions and finances. And Thomas's trips paid for by Crow were not disclosed on his financial disclosure forms. In addition, in a statement Thomas released in April, he said that Crow did not have business before the court. But in January of 2005, the Supreme Court declined to hear Womack <clears throat> Hampton Architects versus Metric Holdings Limited Partnership. That's according to the Supreme Court's docket on the court's website. Google it. Uh, had a justice been recused from participating in the case, it would have been noted. No such notation. The Crow name does not appear in the caption of the case, but a corporate disclosure statement attached to the filing says the corporate parent of Metric Holdings is Trammell Crow Residential Company, Mr. Crow's company. According to a statement from Harlan Crow's office, the Crow family at the time had a non-controlling interest in Trammell Crow Residential Company, but an interest nonetheless. At the time of this case, they said Trammell Crow Residential operated completely independently of Crow, of Crow Holdings with a separate management team and its own independent operations. Crow Holdings had a minority interest in the parties involved in this case and therefore no control of any of these entities. Neither Harlan Crow nor Crow Holdings had knowledge of or involvement in this case and a search of Crow Holdings legal records reveals no involvement in this case. If it walks like a duck and it looks like a duck and it quacks like a duck it's a duck this is inappropriate and i don't care if you're a right or a left-leaning judge i'm leslie marshall 
That's what's ripped from the headlines. Hey there, I'm Leslie Marshall. Welcome or welcome back only True Democracy and Talk. Glad you're listening to us or watching us uh, today and very glad to have this gentleman back on the show. I've come to know him uh, on Twitter and I've come to know his story uh, as a parent who lost a child and the passion, but not just the passion. He didn't just go into a corner and crawl up and, and, and you know die like so many parents would, I think, in this situation. He's trying to make change for the better for other children out there, and I highly respect and commend him for that. Fred Gutenberg is joining us today. We had him on the show previously to discuss his first book, and now we're excited to have him back to preview his second book. Now, like I mentioned, he didn't just go, you know, crawl into that corner. He's dedicated his life to saving lives, fighting for gun safety in this nation, and he does it every day. He began his public life after the murder of his beautiful 14-year-old daughter, Jamie, in the Parkland school shooting back on Valentine's Day of 2018. His mission ultimately led him to write his first book, Find the Helpers. It's a great book if you haven't read it. I have. It's an awesome book. And now, Fred and international gun policy consultant Thomas Gabor team up in a brand new book titled American Carnage, Shattering the Myths that Fuel Gun Violence. Now, this book you need to get. We're going to talk about it. We're going to preview it here today. But this book will dismantle some of the most common myths about guns, common myths about gun violence. It's release coming around the corner, May 2nd. And you can purchase both of Fred's books and find out more information about what he's doing, what events he's participating in at fredgutenberg.com. That's F-R-E-D-G-U-T-T-E-N-B-E-R-G.com. On Twitter, his handle is at Fred underscore Gutenberg. Without uh, much uh, more delay, we have Fred rejoining us. Hey, Fred, thank you for being back on the show. And and uh, thank you for writing a second book. And that's the first thing I wanted to ask you about. Why did you feel the need to write a second book is because the carnage just keeps on going in this nation at the hands uh, of guns and more children uh, like your lovely daughter are no longer with us. Well, first, Leslie, thanks for having me on. It's been a bit. So and I hope you're well. Um, You know, the reason for it, and and I really have to give all credit to Tom Gabor, my co-author, who's just one of the smartest people who I've got to know who has made it his mission to be an expert on policy around guns and on the history of guns and gun violence. And he reached out to me some time ago with um, a desire to write another book and asked if I wanted to do it with him. And this to me seemed as if a book that needed to be written, one that directly took on these myths, lies, that we have lived with for far too many years about gun guns in America, gun violence in America, who owns guns in America, what happens with guns in America. And unfortunately, these lies um, have been used to fuel a gun violence surge in this country that we now need to come to grips with. These lies have been used to fuel a doubling of the number of guns in this country from just the year 2003 when Jamie was born. You know, we were 200 million. Now we're over 400 million. Um, And we can't be okay with this. And so we wrote a book to take on the lies so that people understand what they are, what the truth is, and what we need to do next. 
And I think that's wonderful. You're fighting lies with truth, you know, facts, uh, not fiction. Um, before we get to some of those popular gun myths, um, I, I, I wanted, you know, to talk about, um, you know, in, in your book, you guys talk about this being a national disgrace. I mean, over 40,000 people die each year as the result of gun violence. Yeah. Again, fact, not fiction. And when you look at other advanced countries, um, I, I, you know, two, two things. One, we all know what happened in the UK, mass school shooting. They said no more guns, no more mass shootings. I, I mean, so for people to say it's not the guns, I'm sorry. I, I, they're not an anomaly. And I remember a friend of mine who was helping in New York when I lived in New York years ago to train Japanese businessmen's wives who were very high level and people who came in from the UN to work at the UN, um, how to like um, uh, exist in America, if you will. Mm -hmm. And one of the things they taught them, I kid you not, is if somebody takes your purse, you give it to them. Because in Japan, they don't have guns. So if you try to take my purse, I can actually fight you, scream, step on your foot, pull it away. You know what I mean? It's 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 a completely, completely different culture. And that, that that's what I want to ask you. Are we fighting not just guns and not just politicians and political organizations such as the NRA and money and power, yeah. but are we also find, fighting culture? Because I... My jaw still drops that after Sandy Hook, things didn't change. Well, so we are finding a different culture for sure. But listen, I'm 57. And I go back to when I was in high school or college. And um, my friend Joe Walsh and I had this conversation because he said, you know, back then, because he's the same age as me. If you had a disagreement with somebody, you handled it, you, you fought, you handled it, you moved on. And he tried to blame it on the culture that, you know, change as well. And I said to him, we still have the same culture. The difference is the number of guns. Right. What we've done is we've, reality is violence happens, people disagree, but we've now made guns the solution. We've now put guns into an equation where what was once just normal violence and normal disagreements get solved with a gun. You know, again, I go back to this and I look at everything now in, in the context of Jamie's life, because Jamie should be 20 years old this July, 20 years old. She was born in 2003. And again, we had 200 million weapons approximately in 2003. Now we're over 400 million. And in 2003, AR-15s were about one and a half percent of those 200 million guns sold. They're now 25 percent of the guns sold. In 20 years, we have exploded the numbers of guns and dangerous guns on our streets. And let's face it, and this is one of the lies. They always said, you can't pass gun laws. You have to enforce the laws on the books. But while saying that, look at what the red states have been doing. They've been passing gun laws, just gun laws that make it easier to use a gun. Stand your ground permitless carry, you know, things like that. So gun laws have been getting passed. Unfortunately, it's not the kinds that address public safety. It's the kinds that fuel gun violence and gun sales. Let's talk, and we'll talk in a minute again about myths and slogans, but, you know, I love, uh, I'm, this is a topic I'm extremely passionate about, extremely passionate about. And, um, we had break-ins in my neighborhood recently. And one of my neighbors, um, said, you know, just buy a gun. 
you know, we're, because we were talking about getting security, you know, for our neighborhood and nobody wants to pay for it. It's just by it, that seems to be everybody's solution. And it's not a solution. I'm like, I have two teenagers. Home. Are you kidding me? Um, why do you think, Fred, that I mean, the politicians are seeing what you and I see. OK, they see more carnage. They see an increase of gun ownership. They see, I mean, behind closed doors, they they know. OK, mm-hmm. they see young people. And parents protesting like we've never seen before. Tennessee, the latest, right? And in other in other states, um, politically, this isn't gonna continue to be a win for them to be yeah. on the side of the NRA. And 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 also when you have John Stewart just did a brilliant interview, very common uh, sense. I right? saw it. It was right. spectacular. It, it was spectacular, right? I think I reposted it like five times. You know, and and and, and it's just like okay. You, you know, you care about lives. You're pro-life, right? Okay. Well, you know, guns are the number one killer of our children. Not car accidents, not nope. cancer, right? Yep. The number one killer of our children. And it was getting there, but now it's there. I mean, it's been there for a while. And, you know, and he and he's just like, you know, how, how can you say it's not the guns? And, and how can you not, you know, do anything about that? I, I'm I, Please don't misunderstand, but w- is it... It will, will something only happen when when some politician's kid is one of these? Listen, you mentioned Tennessee. Right? You mentioned Tennessee. What happened in Tennessee? Governor Bill Lee, he and his wife lost a dear friend in that shooting. And Governor Bill Lee, who has resisted doing something really important like red flag laws, now wants to pass red flag laws in Tennessee because he touched him personally. You know. Listen, wanting to reduce gun violence, it doesn't make you anti-gun. It doesn't make you anti-Second Amendment. It makes you want to save lives. It means you resist gun violence. And so you know, this notion that wanting to reduce gun violence means you hate guns and gun owners is it's just it's ridiculous. It's one of the lies, you know. But but Governor Billy realized he should be doing more because it touched him personally. Let's stop this before it touches someone else personally that we love, because that's what ultimately makes them change. But let's not wait. I I agree. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be back with Fred. And if you have read Trigger Points, The Violence Project, Warning Sides of Fred's book, Find the Helpers, then American Carnage is a must read. You can purchase both of Fred's books and find out more information about what he's doing at fredgutenberg.com. On Twitter, his handle is is at Fred underscore Gutenberg. Quick break. Back after this. My guest is Fred Gutenberg. Welcome or welcome back. I'm Leslie Marshall, author of Find the Helpers, and now a new book that is coming out next week, May 2nd, American Carnage, Shattering the Myths That Fuel Gun Violence. Like I said, release date May 2nd, and you can purchase both of those books, and I highly recommend you do. Educate yourselves. If you're a voter, you need to. If you're a parent, you need to. A human being, you need to. You can get both of those books and find out more information about events that Fred is participating in, like go to see him speak or, you know, in his debates. And, you know, just go to fredgutenberg.com. That's F-R-E-D-G-U-T-T-E-N-B-E-R-G.com. And on Twitter, at Fred underscore Gutenberg, same spelling. Uh, Fred, thanks for holding. Welcome back. Well, I had said uh, in the uh, last segment, you know, I'm going to ask you about that. I'm going to ask you about that. Um, so can we talk about some of those myths and slogans that you guys expose as faults in American car- uh, carnage, because you know I think there are a lot of people out there that aren't aware how many there are or what some of those are. Yeah, you know what? Um, that America does in its history has been like this. 
The reality is American history is one as a country that supports gun safety measures. It was that way all the way until 1977. You saw law after law that accepted the reality that there are guns in America, we need responsible gun owners, and we need laws to ensure the safety of others. That was part of American history. What changes in 77, a guy by the name of Harlan Carter took over the NRA and redirected it into what it is today. And that started the process of changing, really, who America is and its relationship with guns. What you need to know about Harlan Carter, he changed a vowel in his name. Nobody knew it, but he was in a prior point in his life, a convicted murderer. That's who took over the NRA and made it what it is today. But let's just look. You mentioned Sandy Hook earlier. Sandy Hook became a sales bonanza for the gun industry. Why? Because for the very first time after Sandy Hook, Wayne LaPierre, head of the NRA, said these words. The only thing that stops a bad guy with a gun is a good guy with a gun. That's where that life started. It's where it started. They literally used Sandy Hook to sell more weapons. And they're doing it again when with things like arming teachers. They say the only thing that we know will stop school gun violence is armed teachers. But here's the thing. There's 115, 120,000 schools in America. Since, since Columbine, there have been fewer than 400 school shooting incidents. It's like 0.3%. The number of actual school shootings is a very, very, very tiny number. The idea that solving it requires adding a whole bunch of guns into the mix is a gun lobby solution. But it's not going to make anybody safer. It's actually going to really actually increase the risk of gun violence in schools. You know, there's there's they talk about the defensive uses of guns. Everybody thinks there's somebody around the corner lurking and ready to break into their house because of the gun lobby. And that the only thing you can do is protect yourself with a gun. But the truth is the numbers of defensive uses with a gun are not very big. It's not the, they, they use some really cooked data, which we get into in the book to make a, a, a picture that isn't true. But the truth is the majority of guns in homes that get used in a shooting, it's usually getting used against somebody in the home by somebody else in the home. So, you know, we get into all the data, all the facts, and the reality is, again, I want people to have this information not because I want them to become anti-Second Amendment or anti-gun. I want us as a country to work together on how we reduce gun violence. Yeah, because very good, very good point. It's not just the schools. And we also know there were armed guards in some of those schools where these shootings uh, took yes. place. Uh, and that wasn't effective. And we also know in Uvalde, and I'm sorry, I'm not trying to slam the police, but there is a reality. If you have guns and you don't enter the building, that doesn't help either. Uh, speaking of doing nothing. Uh, doing nothing is not working. People get so frustrated. I was watching it. It's not like I watch TikTok. I'll be on Facebook and something pops up a video. And I watched something just the other day and I was just crying. And it, it was a, a father of one of the children that had died at Uvalde. And um, not, I mean, calm, emotional, passionate, um, a lot of common sense and, and, and a lot of facts, but angry at the politicians 
about thoughts and prayers. I'm sure you are. I know I am. And I have not buried a child or a loved one um, as a result. Thoughts of and prayers are the politician's way of saying, hey, can we talk about anything but the gun? Let's just go through this period of thoughts and prayers and let, let's all shut up and move on. Um, that was true. And, and, and that's why they say don't be political. You know, when yes. something like this yes. happens and they they accuse, you know, those of us on the left, you know, of, of that and being insensitive and, you know, being political. Um, so talk to me. You, you mentioned about the governor of Tennessee and being affected. Um, you talked about <clears throat> red flag laws. Can you talk about that? Um, are these red states becoming more pressured? And do you think they will cave because we have more and more shootings, more and more carnage and more and more of these politicians are going to yeah. be personally touched by this? You know, so again, the, this myth that the only dangerous places in America are blue is a big lie. The red states are far more deadly. Um, and and per capita, they also have gun violence rates that are increasing far more quickly. And so... And Fred, sorry to interrupt. Is that also because red states, there are more guns per capita? Well, more guns per capita and at the same time they're loosening restrictions on who has those guns. So it's it's not it's not hard to figure out why it's happening, okay? Um, and, you know, again, going back to Tennessee, Governor Bill Lee was one of those people who spoke down about things like red flag laws, who refused to take the money from the Safer Communities Act to enact a red flag law in Tennessee. He refused. He's now singing a different tune because... That Tennessee shooting would have been prevented had a red flag law been in place. Okay, so I think it's just it's time for these red state governors and politicians to stop politicizing this with these lies. And it's important for us to know the truth so that we can talk about meaningful, reasonable things that we can do that do respect the rights of lawful gun owners while working to reduce gun violence before, before it becomes somebody that you or they love. And that's the mission that I'm on. Well, it's not just you. I forget to mention, and I forgot to mention, I think in the last interview, but I do want to mention Jennifer, your lovely wife, uh, that, uh, Fred, you and Jennifer spent so much time challenging uh, these politicians, our elected officials, to do more to prevent gun violence. Uh, I wanted to touch upon the 501c uh, three organization dedicated to Jamie's life called yeah. Orange Ribbons for Jamie. Uh, you can see her with her beautiful leap behind you. And uh, you created a 501c4 called Orange Ribbons for Gun Safety. Um, can you tell us uh, about those uh, Orange Ribbons for Jamie and Orange Ribbons for Gun Safety? Yeah, I'll start with Orange Ribbons for Gun Safety because it's a purely, it, that's an entity that is for advocacy. That's how I get to go ahead and do what I do. Um, and and it advocates for measures to reduce gun violence. And that's my life mission. Orange Ribbons for Jamie, the C3, is how we honor Jamie's memory. And it's really my, um, it's how my wife keeps Jamie alive. Um, we've done amazing things like our college scholarship program, but our newest initiative and the one that I think really is going to define Orange Ribbons for Jamie going forward is Paws of Love, um, where we are giving out new puppies to families affected by gun violence and not just giving them the dog, but the entire first year, veterinary, food, oh, wow. um, grooming, training. 
And the reason we're doing it is because when my daughter was killed, I had two dogs in my house, one who was five years old and one who was four months old. Those dogs saved my family. And because I remember what it meant to us and my wife remembers what it meant to us and Jamie was a dog obsessed person, it is our way of being able now to go across this country and help families who are affected by a problem that unfortunately is not going away. I know your daughter is one of those beautiful stars in the sky. And uh, sorry, I know she'd be so proud of what you guys are doing because you're trying so hard to save people. Um, And you're doing things that she loves. And the thing about the dogs, I mean, I'm a dog and my dog's right over there. Um, It's just beautiful because animals can certainly be a comfort when you're going through a difficult time. Last 40 seconds to you, Fred. So go ahead. I'm sorry. What was the question? Well, I don't actually, I want to say this once again. Um, I was just going to say last 40 seconds to you, but, but I want to mention your books again and where people can get the book. So I'm going to take the time back. Okay. <laughs> I want find the helpers. You got to get it. You got to read it. American carnage, a must read. And you can purchase both of Fred's books and find out more information about where he's at an event. Maybe it's near you. Go meet him, shake his hand, ask how you can help. Go to fredgutenberg.com, F-R-E-D-G-U-T-T-E-N-B-E-R-G.com. And on Twitter, his handle is at Fred underscore Gutenberg. Uh, help Orange Ribbons for Gun Safety to help Fred and Jennifer continue to do what they do. And also give to Orange Ribbons for Jamie. That's just wonderful. Giving uh, a, a dog to a family that's lost a child that helps them have the will to go forward and something to comfort them. Fred, you know I love you. Mwah. And, uh, Thanks, and Leslie. Back at you. Hugs to Jennifer. Thank you. Thank you for being with us today. Thank you.